And I'll invite the rest of us to stand for the gospel reading this morning. Our gospel passage is taken from the gospel according to John, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the Word of God, the people of God. Maybe see it. Well, it has been a wonderful weekend. I can almost say that without smiling. We had a great occasion on Friday evening. The youth group met at the USA Recreation Center for a walk-in. They met at 2 o'clock in the evening and stayed till 6 in the morning. I left at 11.30 p.m. And Leanne is still awake. <laughs> It was uh, a good weekend yesterday. We were able to drive up to Jackson, Alabama to visit with our family and Leanne's mother and have a birthday celebration for Leanne's sister and meet the new boyfriend of our niece and meet the new in-laws of our nephews. It was just a great occasion as we gathered together as a family. As we were driving up, I was talking to Leanne and I was talking about how I've been preparing for this sermon and I only normally talk a lot about my sermon preparation with Leanne, but yesterday was just, it, it really caught my imagination, and so I really wanted to share it with her, because that, it, it really kind of sparked something in me. We were driving along, we were going up 43, and he said, you know, I, I have a new plane in. He's like, yeah, what is this one? I said, I think we need to buy some land, and then, not a lot, just a a few acres, you know, six or twelve acres, and you can have a house on it, and then we can get some sheep. Just four or five sheep and a couple of goats. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I've been reading about these sheep, and I think they're amazing. And she said, well, what are we going to do with goats? I said, we're going to put hay bales out and we'll climb on them. We can just watch them. <laughs> Why do you want sheep? Fun. I said, you know, there's actually a, 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 a breed of sheep that is um, not necessarily native, but it's been around for over 500 years in the Florida area. When, when Columbus came over, he brought these sheep, and we call them Florida cracker sheep now. And I thought, you know what? They're, they, they, they're resistant to parasites, and they're, they're suitable for this hot, humid climate. I said, there's, there we go. There we already, I know what we need to get. And I said, you know, they... If, you know, four sheep can live on about an acre, over an acre. So we 
we had if we had you know six or twelve acres, we'd have plenty. They could graze forever. And, and she's like, ah. Oh. Well, she didn't say anything. But I know what she was thinking. She was thinking, you lost your mind. And I looked at Jess in the back and I said, Jess, what do you think of this plan? He wants no part of it. I'm the only one who has this plan. Well, let me tell you about sheep. When I was doing getting ready for this sermon, I, I, I said, I don't, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood in Tallahassee, Florida. I know nothing about farms or, or farm animals. I didn't even have a sheepdog growing up, but these sheep are just, they are really piquing my interest a little bit. And so I'm, I started to read about them. You know, they are, um, they're, not as, they're not as stupid or dumb as we think they are. They have problem-solving skills. And they, um, they have the ability to recognize faces. So they have facial recognition. And they can remember faces up to over at least 50 sheep's, 50 sheep's faces. Say that really fast. <laughs> and at least 10 human beings' faces over 10 years, for two years. So they were doing this research and they were showing pictures of these sheep that they were in the flock with two years ago. And they could recognize sheep that were in the flock and recognize sheep that were not. They could recognize human beings that were in their presence. I thought, that is awesome. But there are these social creatures, they, they're more comfortable with at least four sheep. That, makes, that gives them a comfort level. Outside of that comfort level, when there's like one sheep, they become depressed. And what they've noticed about a depressed sheep is they walk around with their head down. And they isolate themselves from the other sheep in the flock. And when a sheep is, is content, the sheep's head is up. He's alert. And his tail wags like a puppy. And so they were looking at this, these um, findings of, this, of these flocks of sheep, and they, they thought, well, what would happen if we had one sheep on a pasture? What would one sheep do? And so along the lines of this research, they decided they would put a mirror in the pasture. And that sheep went to the mirror and would eat in front of the pasture, in front of the mirror. Because when the sheep eat, they look at the other sheep. Because they think the other sheep are looking at them and looking good. So they have this full field vision for predators, for danger, for risk. And so I thought, what a great thing if we could have some sheep. And we could watch this. We could put one out by itself and put a mirror out there. Wouldn't that be fun? Poor sheep. But what, what does that say about us? When Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. Where is sheep? His sheep will know him and they will hear his voice and they will come to him. You know, in the Old Testament, the imagery of a shepherd and, and sheep and a flock was, was commonplace. It was, um, it was a tradition. It had been a long time around. And, and where that comes from is that the shepherd leads the flocks of sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep, leads them to grazing, leads them to water, 
protects them, cares for them. And that imagery became the image of a king for his, over his nation. It becomes the image of God over God's people. As God is seen as the shepherd and God's people are seen as God's flock. Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, says, I am the good shepherd. And my sheep will recognize me. And they will hear my voice. And they will come to me. So when we peel back this layer, this rather thin layer of, of, of what an image of the sheep and the shepherd looks like, we get some deep meaning in there. It's very deep. Think about the need that we have as human beings to belong, to connect to other people, to a community, to a group, something bigger than ourselves. There's uh, lots of research, social psychology research, clinical therapeutic research. One article I read that was summarizing some of this research was by Karen Hall. It was in Psychology Today. And she pretty much summarized this idea of belonging and how it helps ease the pain of loneliness. She says in this article, having a sense of belonging is a common experience. Belonging means acceptance as a member or a part. Such a simple word for a huge concept. A sense of belonging is a human need, just like the need for food and shelter. Feeling that you belong is most important in seeing the value in life and in coping with the intensely painful emotions. Some struggle to find a sense of belonging. And their loneliness is physically painful for them. Think of the sheep whose head hangs down and his tail does not wag and he finds isolation from the flock. A sense of belonging to a greater community improves our motivation, our health, and our happiness. Think of the sheep whose head is up is engaging with the community, the flock. His tail is wagging. My old psychology professor, Dr. Daniel Barado, talks about depression for human beings, and he says that the opposite of depression is not joy or happiness. The opposite of depression is participation. When we find ourselves depressed, we isolate ourselves. We no longer engage in society, and with our groups and our communities, which throws us into greater risk of learned helplessness and depression. But engaging, participating with a greater community gives us meaning, gives us a sense of wholeness. And when Jesus Christ speaks of the shepherd and the flock and the fold, we can understand that Jesus Christ is talking about more than just happiness. Jesus Christ is talking about a, whole, a wholeness and a joy that is made complete when we are in a relationship, when we participate in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we participate with God's people. It's a powerful image. 
the image of a shepherd and the flock. Now when I, years ago I used to help coach baseball and I really enjoyed it. I haven't done it for a number of years and I've coached Little League and Junior Major League and Cub League and even had a couple of years of t-ball which I discovered is the greatest sport on the face of the earth. Certainly better than Florida State football. Many years ago, I was helping this, my friend of mine, Clint, he was coaching a t-ball team, and we had our first meeting, team meetings, I met him out there, and we were gathered on the, t- on the pitcher's mound of the t-ball field, and the players were all gathered around, and the parents were kind of surrounding and shepherding these little players, these boys and girls that were four, five, six years old, and then one young player came in, new to the team, and he wasn't excited about joining the group, gathering there on the pitcher's mound. His dad went over and tried to, you know, urge him and encourage him to come on over and kind of get to know the team and know the coaches, and he was having no part of it. He had a firm grip on the chain link fence in front of the dugout, and he wasn't about to leave the security of the fence. His dad kept encouraging him, and the coaches kind of called out to him and Come on over and join the team and get to know people and be a part. His dad walks back over and kind of grabs him by the hand and urges him and walks with him. And the boy's just shuffling his feet and his cleats in the dirt and dragging his glove. He he just didn't know what to make of any of it. And he got closer to the group. He began to stop. And one little boy just stood up in the back of the group and. He had curly blonde hair and he kind of ran around the group and he came over and grabbed that little boy by his hand and said, come over and sit with me. And I kind of watched all this. I didn't, I didn't know the little boy and I thought, well, that's awfully nice. I didn't realize that that little curly-headed boy was the worst baseball player in the history of baseball. I was afraid for his health when he played the game. He was the one that would chase the ball wherever it went and for whatever reason. If the ball, if he was playing right field and the ball was hit the left field, he would run all the way to left field. And when they threw the ball to the third baseman, he'd run to the third baseman. And when the ball went from there to home plate and past home plate through the backstop, he ran all the way to the backstop. And when they gave the ball to the umpire, he ran to the umpire. Till we had to tell him, go back to right field. He was the one that, after countless, I don't even know how many times we talked about how to run the bases. We'd run to the pitcher's mound or to the third base after he hit the ball. He was the one that would try to climb over the fence or under the fence in the outfield. He was the one we had a dedicated coach just to watch. Make sure he doesn't get hurt or get lost. He's the worst player I've ever seen. But what he did not understand about baseball, he understood belonging. He understood what it meant to be new, to be isolated. And he didn't want this new kid to feel that way. And so he reached out and invited him in and welcomed him, gave him a place, gave him a part, and let him feel a sense of belonging. 
They were together for two years on that team, and that little boy never got better in baseball. And, but he had a part, and he gave the other players a sense of belonging and a place. And I learned more in that night about belonging than I think I've ever learned in one city. What it looks like for someone just to reach out and say, come be a part of what we're doing. Come sit with me. Come join the group. Find your place. You have a position. And as they allow each other a place and a sense of belonging, they all learn together what it means to be a team, what it means to play baseball, what it means to be a part of the flock. And maybe that's what Jesus wants us to understand, is that we are called to be a part of his flock. We have a place, a sense of belonging in God's flock. And what if we take that really seriously? And we begin to see ourselves as one of the flocks of God. And when we see people in the world who are not a part of the flock, that we know their head is probably hanging, and their tails aren't wagging, and they're isolated from God. And what if we just got up walked over and held them by the hand and say, come sit with me. Come be a part. Because when we do that, we let them know that they are no longer a no person, but they're God's people. And when we are God's people, we become part of those living stones that Peter spoke of last week, being built into this holy temple and a righteous priesthood, offering a good sacrifice to God, a sacrifice that is giving of ourself, proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and God's mighty acts of salvation that we find in Christ. When we do that, we offer the world, our neighbors, our colleagues, our family members, our classmates, people on the street, a place place to belong and a people to be a part. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.